Good morning. I'm Joe Cade. I'm the minister here at Memorial. We're glad that you're here. If you're a visitor, we're so grateful that you made your way in. Hope you feel welcome. We'll make sure and speak to you um, before you get out the door. We've got um, pamphlets that have information about our church that are in the back uh, that our ushers will give you. And I've got a couple of announcements before um, we get started. One, you can see the choir is off today. And uh, they work very hard. They earn that time. I want y'all to know, or um, Lauren wants y'all to know that you have practice at 7 p.m. Uh, on Wednesday, 7 p.m. And um, we welcome Donnie Harvey today, um, both playing uh, the saxophone and singing with us. We're grateful that uh, you're here worshiping with us, Donnie. Um, I'm going to call Katie up to tell you a couple things. And while she's coming, I'm going to tell you our good news for the week. Um, represented here by this flower is Will and Candace Grugan had a baby girl, Sloane Elizabeth. Nine pounds, three ounces. That's real. Robbie and Lauren Septon had their baby girl last night after a week of trying to do that. And Corley, she's nine pounds, six ounces. Uh, so they're both healthy. They're doing just fine. Um, so Sloane Elizabeth Grugan and Ann Corley Septon. Good morning. I am Katie Jeter, and I'm the Director of Children and Family Ministries here at Memorial. I have a few announcements from those departments for you this morning. First of all, we celebrated Promotion Sunday during our Sunday School Hour today, so the children are now attending their new Sunday School classes, and that went well. We have some new command center boards for our children's ministry programs, so I just was asking everyone to take a minute and locate those in the upcoming weeks. It's a good way for us to communicate where our holes are, where we need volunteers, if you're able to serve there, um, and also just to serve as a reminder for who is keeping our nurseries and teaching our children in Sunday school. Um, lastly, tonight at 5 o'clock out at the large shelter at Lake Robinson is our ice cream social. So I hope you will join us there. Bring your favorite um, dessert or homemade ice cream to share. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Um, I want to remind you that if you are able to park in the parking lot across the street, I wish you'll do that. And if you're able by having the SUV or truck, if you can park in the grassy lot, which will save even more spots for this lot and that lot as, uh, as we continue to need them. Let's uh, turn to the Lord.
Heavenly Father, it is by your grace that we are gathered here in your house. And as we have many things that pull on us, family, work, house, and cause us distraction, help us to set them aside as we come in this building so that we can focus on your text for us today, so that we can focus on your prayers for us today, so we can focus on your hymns for us, so that we may celebrate your grace, your provision, your mercy, your love. Keep us focused this morning, Lord, on your message for us this day. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand for our opening hymn as you are able, page 145. Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
seated. We invite the children to come up with Miss Katie. Good morning. How is everybody? Y'all get a front row seat um, on this special Sunday for a few things we're going to do and talk about. Since you are getting ready to go back to school, today is when we're doing our back to school blessings. But we also did a few things um, in our nine o'clock service this morning that I want to share with you and the congregation here before we do our back to school blessings. We have a tradition at Memorial for our rising third graders, and some of you have already gotten to participate in this, and some of you will still get the chance in a few more years. We present our rising third graders with a Bible as a gift from the church. So I want the congregation and you all to know who we gave Bibles to at our nine o'clock service this morning. It was Alexander Scudder, Noah Hammond, Emily Major, Ava Norman, Jackson Yacht, and Carter Owens. So when you see these rising third graders, you can join me in congratulating them on this honor. We also took a moment to recognize our rising kindergartners. And I know that's not any of y'all. I don't know if there are any other children that want to join us for that. But we do welcome our kindergartners to our services now. We have a nursery, and you know that, right? That we for both of our services. But when you get in kindergarten, we welcome you to join us here. And we have a basket in the back door, um, or at the back door in this service, and at the door of our other service, so you can grab an activity packet um, if you would like that to use during the service. So we welcome our kindergartners. And now, we're gonna do our back to school blessing. The tradition of the back to school blessing is a send off so that you know your church family is thinking about you and praying for you as you go back to school. Because as much of an exciting time as it is, sometimes it's nerve wracking too, right? It can be scary to go into a new classroom, new friends, new teachers. So we want you to know that your church family is praying for you as you do that. And this back to school blessing is offered for anybody going back to school in any way. So if anyone in the congregation is a teacher or a staff person or administrator, we invite you to stand for this blessing as well that Reverend Kate is going to offer. So if y'all will stand with me, Reverend Kate's going to do our back to school blessing. And after that, I have some back to school treats that you can grab from our buckets before you go back to your seat, okay? So stand with me. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for all you have given us. We thank you for creating us and filling us with good things, for giving us your son Jesus to show us the way to you. Bless these students, teachers, and support staff as they begin this new school year. Help them in all they do to appreciate the goodness in themselves and to look for the good in those around them. Help them live their faith and love you by loving those around them. Help them to see your presence always. May they turn to you in good times and in bad and know that you are their strength. As they grow on the outside, may they grow on the inside as well in knowledge and love for you and others. Let your Holy Spirit give them gifts of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to help them learn the things you need them to know. Bless all children, students, teachers, and support staff this day, O oh God. Give them inquiring minds and discerning hearts. Give them courage to persevere in all they undertake. Give them laughter and love to share with all. 
Give them protection and safety as they move out of our embrace. And give them sure and certain knowledge of your unfailing love. May our prayer today be a blessing to everyone who it is prayed over. And may it be a reminder for us all to keep these back-to-schoolers in our thoughts and prayers this week and throughout this school year. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If there are any children who didn't come forward for the blessing but would like some pencils or Smarties, I'll have them at this front door when you leave this morning. Thank you. Our first scripture lesson this morning is from Psalm 22, verses 1 through 11. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted you, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and you were saved. In you they trusted, and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions, hearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. This is the word of God for the people of God.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you know our walk. Our walk on high hills, on sunny days. Our walk on low valleys, very cloudy, dark days. You know as we walk along the beach, as we walk in the mountains, as we walk in the city, as we walk out of our workplace rejoicing, as we walk out in total pain. As we get good news from the hospital, as we get bad news from the hospital, you are present. We pray not that you may be with us because you already are. We pray simply that you help us to recognize the fact that you are present with us in every moment of our lives. And as we read these texts of human beings struggling to understand what they are to do in good and bad, Help us to make them our texts that we can understand your presence amongst us and what that means. Inspire us, Lord, with the prayer your Son taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time to offer our tithes and other offerings.
Please be seated. We continue today with a series that we're doing in uh, the month of August, which is based on the book, Why? Making Sense of God's Will by Adam Hamilton. Adam is a United Methodist minister in Leewood, Kansas, and has a tremendous church out there that is, um, couldn't be, that's totally relevant, that's um, totally um, reaching out to the community. Its mission is huge, and they invite any churches out to them to learn what they're doing. They lift up the hood and say, hey, steal anything that you want, take it back with you, and implement it as much as you possibly can. And so Adam is one of my heroes. So we, um, if you, you can find the book on any Amazon, anything, uh, you can order it. Um, it's called Why. And we read chapter one last week. We're reading from chapter one again this week um, because there are five weeks and we had communion last week. And then chapter two next week, chapter three the next week, and chapter four is a combined service. It's the first combined service I'm gonna see here at Memorial, and that it will be at 10 o'clock. And people say, hey, we're gonna do the combined service thing? Yes. Hey, where's the combined service thing going to be? I never can remember where it's going to be. Anybody know where it's going to be? It's in here. Oh, yep, we got it. It's in here. Um, so I said to contemporary people this morning, I expect y'all to come. And I'm going to tell traditional people, you're going to sit in their seats. You're going to move them over five feet, one way this way, one way that way. So I expect to have a really great uh, group gathered on the last Sunday of this month looking at chapter four of Adam's book. So I'm going to start off with one of the quotes for the day from chapter 1. Adam and Eve's story is our story. Some take the story literally and historically. Some see it figuratively and symbolically. However you read the story, it points towards those, it points towards who we are as human beings. However you read the story, it points to who we are as human beings. So religious folks often argue with one another over the points of this simple phrase. Some people say the Bible has to be taken literally. Some say it's figurative. Some people say it has to be read entirely. Some people say it has to be edited. You take certain parts and leave out certain parts. I'm not going to tell you which one of those to believe. There's all sorts of different seminaries that teach you all different sorts of things about the Bible. And those ministers trained by those seminaries go to all sorts of different churches who have all sorts of different beliefs about the Bible. I'll simply tell you that I like this point from Adam, regardless of which side you're on. Personally, I'm a big fan of it points towards who we are as human beings. That's what Adam said. If we understand what Disciple Bible Study calls the human condition, our personal struggle as human beings, if we understand the nature of God, and if we understand how those two impact one another, then that's what the Bible is designed to do, in my opinion. Whether you take it, it absolutely happened, or it's a story for us to learn something. So Genesis chapter 2, generally when you hear about Adam and Eve, you hear about the tree and the snake. I want you to hear about what preceded that in chapter 2, and that is on page 3 on the Bible, if you can find page 3 pretty early. Verse 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So this is shaping up to be the first instance of what will be hundreds of instances of delegation in the Bible. 
Now, um, a word that we use, we use all sorts of insider church words in church to describe our um, locations like the narthex or the sacristy, to describe our acronyms like the, um, the DCOM, the... Um, I can't think of any acronyms. We got all kinds of acronyms uh, that we use in the Bible, I mean in the Methodist Church, just like uh, the military. And then we have committee names that if someone walked in our door and didn't know much about it, if we said, if we said stewardship, I'm on the stewardship committee, well, what is that? That means um, we are given tremendous resources and opportunities. And we are charged with doing something significant with them, not wasting them not hoarding them, doing something significant with them. Something has been placed in our hands. And whatever you call it, whether it be delegation or stewardship, it's a very big deal. And it happens in this text and it happens throughout the entire rest of the Bible. God will soon ask Cain, where's your brother Abel? You know where he is? You're supposed to care for him. He will one day say to Moses, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I have a really important task, and I need you to face the biggest, most important, most uh, uh, intimidating person in the region. I need you to do it, delegating that authority to Moses. Jesus will tell a parable in the Gospels that starts, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. Over and over and over in the Old Testament and the New Testament, amazing things will be created and then handed over to human beings. So with that in mind, consider verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to, eye, to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It, it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and do what? Care for it. So God created all of that, then put a human being there and said, I want you to care for this. So all kinds of trees, first of all. I went uh, on the internet and I googled, why do trees matter? Just to see what, just to see what it'd say. One website said, here's 22 reasons why trees matter. Now, I won't read all 22. Number one, clean the air and provide oxygen. Is that a big deal? Absolutely, that's a big deal. Number two, provide a habitat for wildlife. All sorts of wildlife, this big and this big. And three, you know, we sort of have, you know, the news and um, newspaper and the internet and phones that will tell us all about the weather and what the weather will be and what it has been for the last 50 years. But trees tell us a whole lot about the weather. Um, in, in our yard, um, leaves will fall regularly in the summer. And I said to Katie, why are leaves falling in the summer? She said, it's just blazing hot, can't take it. The leaves can't take it and they fall off. So the trees are, I mean, you, you don't really need a tree to tell you that it's blazing hot outside. 
but trees are really helpful in letting us know they're providing a home. They're doing all sorts of things. And then a river flowing through and breaking off in four ways. So I told you last week we were going on vacation from just after church last Sunday till yesterday. And um, Katie's family has a place at Edisto. So I've gone to Edisto more than half my life now. And one of my favorite things to watch is the tidal creeks. As we're driving in and driving out, as we're um, going to eat dinner, whatever we're doing, you'll see um, just fluff mud. I'm talking about just fluff mud. That's all there is. And I've jumped in it before. It's, I wouldn't recommend it over and over again, but it's something to do. Then you'll see, um, one of my favorite things to see is water just racing in from the tide. It's just pouring in throughout the, uh, all the little fingers of the river. And then you'll see a high tide to the level that you think, my goodness, this is about to come over the street. It's so high. And every phase of that has something to do with life. Every single life form is benefiting from every single phase. They're celebrating one phase or another. Um, we went to the aquarium on the harbor, and we look, we go to the observation deck, you look out at the Charleston Harbor, and you see the Wanda River, and you see the Cooper River, and you see the harbor, and all that stuff, that water, just that amazing force of life that's going on in that region. And finally, um, one of my favorite places is uh, when you see a creek on a farm. Um, so I did a wedding five, six, seven years ago on a farm off of 76 between Easley and Clemson. It's a family farm uh, under, the tr- under the shadow of a big tree. It's beautiful. So um, generally speaking, my conversation style is just to ask questions about you or about your place or about your profession. That's, way you, that's one of the easiest ways to generate conversation. You learn something about the person. So um, sometimes that leads to goofy questions, um, but that's just part of it. So I say to the owner of the farm who's uh, like fourth generation on that farm, how is it that farms always have a, they're always lucky enough for a creek to be going through there? So that's a fairly simple question. And he looked at me and he's like, you're from the city, right? And I said, mm-hmm. yep. We're not big city, but I don't venture out much. And he said, that's because we set them up by the creek. <laughs> and I was like, ha city boy. Yes, that makes total sense that you would see the creek and set up the farm by the creek. Because it's the source of everything. So I'm giving you these amazing trees. I'm giving you this amazing land. I'm giving you these amazing bodies of water. And I need you to do what? I need you to care for it. I need you to take care of it. And let's not skip over the detail in the middle of the description of all the amazing, beautiful things. Where two trees. The tree of life... Barely mentioned, but sounds entirely significant. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, um, I've always thought about it as a knowledge of good and evil. But the, um, one of the latest things I read about it is that it, what it is, is the knowledge of the entire spectrum. It's not just two things. It's the knowledge of the entire spectrum of humanity from here to here. And when you think about as um, parents try to decide how much they're going to tell their child about a particular event or um, a trip or whatever, they're thinking, how much of this entire story can this child handle? And then there are times when children have gotten into something and they're thinking, 
how much of this entire story can my parents handle? And then, you know, you're an adult child of a, a, you know, a parent, and you're playing games with each other of how much can you handle about uh, my health and how much can you handle about the way, I, whatever. We're always managing how much someone can handle about an information about whatever. So knowledge of good and evil, you, I mean, you're getting the entire spectrum. You're going zero to a thousand in a hurry. So verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So, there's an outlet. Here's a fork. Don't stick the fork in the outlet. I don't know. There's just something interesting about sticking up. There's not. Whatever kid's in here, never stick a fork in an outlet. But there's something that just draws you. Why? Why can't I do that? I would like to have the full knowledge of the full spectrum of humanity. I doubt it. I doubt you want to know that sort of thing. So you ask, okay, why all these rules? That's what people ask, uh, uh, no matter what the age is, people ask him, why are these rules? And this is something that I mentioned last week. That life, love, and provision always precede covenants and promises. Every single time. God does not say, here's a bunch of rules and I hope you make it. I hope, uh, we'll see. God, from the very beginning to the very end and all the way up to us, gives first life, love, and provision, and then gives covenants and promises that we can participate in. Now, what follows that? Trust, free will, and opportunity. Trust, free will, and opportunity will always follow covenants or promises. In times in the Bible, human beings do a really great job with that trust and free will. And at times, human beings really struggle with that trust and free will. So second quote of the day from Adam, he said, We instinctively know how important our freedom is to us. We're willing to fight and die for it. As children grow up, they yearn for it. We know that we want another to choose to love us, not to be forced to love us. God's decision to give human beings the ability to choose right from wrong is itself an expression of God's love. You ever thought of it that way before? Your being given free will and opportunity is an expression of God's love. And um, I can get, you know, the slightest tablespoon of that image in, in the fact that we keep giving our girls more and more responsibilities as they get older and older. Let's just say, all right, I'm going to give you a scenario. I'm going to give you the concepts of our family, what we believe in, and we're going to see how that goes. We're going to see what choices you make. And it really is. It's, it's exhilarating to give the people the opportunity, but it's also nerve-wracking. But he also says this is an expression of love, not holding you down. So freedom, 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 freedom is something we talk about all the time. It's something we crave all the time. And Adam's third quote is, God does not take from us our freedom. Nor does God miraculously deliver us from the consequences of our actions or the actions of others. 
But as we'll see in chapter 4, God does promise to deliver us. And God promises to sustain us and force good to come from the painful things we experience in this life. So what's significant there? I, I think there are truly times, you know, you'll, you'll hear someone say, or uh, they say it, or someone in their family has said it, I felt like I made a horrible decision, or we made a horrible decision that night, and we were delivered from total loss or death or pain or injury. We just feel like we were saved. Or there was a near, um, uh, near accident that didn't happen. You say, well, we were delivered from that. And I think there are times in which that's the case. But I think Adam really wants to emphasize that there are times that we are not delivered from our actions. Nor are we delivered from the actions of others. So as I went down, um, what's this? Maine. <laughs> Maine to uh, um, the Sphinx gas station yesterday at like 6 o'clock. I saw someone on Wade Hampton who had tried to make the turn when the light had run out. And then someone was coming from this direction. What would that be? Uh, something bound. X bound on this road. And as that person was coming, they thought, I can't, I can't maintain this trajectory. I've got to get in. And as they got in, they had a person coming from this direction. I mean, just bang. And all this, here comes fire trucks and everything. So that person made a decision that it was significant enough for them to run the light, the timing that it would take for the next green arrow was worth risking punching it on the red. And the person who's in the turn lane on Main going that bound couldn't do anything about it. So he says, God does not deliver us from the actions of others most of the time. What's significant about that to me is that as we're going to make some bad choices and other people make some bad choices and impact us, it's important not to say every single time, well, God must have wanted it that way. On the one hand, that does give us order. Some people love order more than anything else. They'd rather a um, vengeful, vicious God who orders things than a loving, creating God that allows things. That scares them to death. And so when we say to other people, well, God must have wanted it that way. Number one, I don't think Adam would think that was theologically accurate, nor do I. And number two, it's, it's uh, heartbreaking to the person that hears it. So, so God wanted this to happen to me? So that need for a person to feel order gives another person the burden that God hoped that would happen to that person. Do you understand that? That's tough. So he says, we're going to make bad choices, they're going to make bad choices, and that is part of life as we live in these fragile bodies. And so when we experience tragedy, when we're the cause of it, the weight is just too much for us and we might run into isolation. When we experience tragedy as a result of another person doing a terrible thing, 
we wonder how God could allow it, and then we think, I probably should go run to isolation because I can't be with anybody else who's going to say this is God's will, and I can't be with this God who allowed this to happen. And that pain and that brokenness may cause them never to come back to a faith community because of that fear. So this is the last quote of the day from Adam. Rejecting God does, doesn't change the situation that has caused our suffering. It only removes the greatest source of hope, help, comfort, and strength that we have. So, rejecting the creation... Now, you heard me describe that creation of the garden. As I said, I think most people think about the tree and what the snake did and what the people did and how they blamed each other and all that. I want you to think about the creation. That's it. The creation of the garden. Was it loving? Was it generous? Was it full of hope and opportunity? In my opinion, that's the will of God. And as we human beings do what we do when we're entrusted with that amazing thing, we're going to harm each other. But God does not abandon us. If we, were the one, if we were the one that caused the brokenness, nor if we are the recipient of the brokenness, God is present with us. Did you hear the um, Psalm 22 juxtaposed against the anthem? It, it, you know, the Psalm 22 is, I mean, both Psalm 22 and 23 are in terrible spots. They're in broken spots. But one is full of hope, and one is full of uh, thoughts of abandonment. And so, as 22, as he calls out and says, I, I got nothing. I have nothing. And I don't even know if you're there. And then he'll go back up and he'll say, no, I think you're there. And as they, as they sang the anthem, and you hear about calling out for God's help, as you read this text and you hear of God's provision and love and promise, you can understand that this is a living, breathing thing in which we will be hurt. And what Adam would want you to understand, I believe, what I want you to understand is that hurt is not the will of God. The pursuit of others in that same love is the will of God. Reaching out to one another, staying amongst our group and supporting one another, expressing our brokenness and pain and anxiety and holding this weight and understand God loves us from the very beginning and will continue to is the will of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your mercy extends beyond all boundaries that we are aware of. And as we run from it, as we run to it, as we stay in the same place, help us to always be aware of your loving grace that surrounds us. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand as you're able as we sing the final hymn number 159.
Donnie, it's totally a pleasure to have you today. Thank you for coming today. Y'all be sure and love on uh, Reverend Kathy Jameson Ox. She's a Columbia District Superintendent, and rumor has it that she and Susan and our district superintendent got in a corner and got me over here to Memorial. And so I'm entirely grateful for that, uh, for, the, for the chance to be here. Yeah, clap it up. Let's go. It's, um, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Um, and now receive the benediction. Uh, go in peace. I may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and power and presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.